1: See website for details.
2: Hello and welcome to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the coliseum of contentious opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base will smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will enter trial-by-content and decide the true answer for all time. I'm Dave Gonzalez, and for far too long, including a weird 14 years on Twitter, I've been having opinions on the internet at places like the Fighting in the War Room podcast and sites like Geek.com, The Guardian, and The New York Times.
3: I'm Joanna Robinson. If you are a listener to Ringer Podcast, you may know that I podcast over on the Ringerverse about geekdom. I have been on The Big Pick a lot recently talking about the Oscars, which will come in handy today, and Prestige TV podcast and all over the place. Uh, you know me. But I know these guys best from covering Game of Thrones with them on the Storm of Spoilers podcast or the ABC series Lost on the Storm podcast. We've been podcasting together for a really long time. And so we're, we're back together again for this new show.
0: And I'm Neil Miller, and I'm also extremely sad to report that I've been on Twitter for more than 14 years, <laughs> uh, but it has ultimately worked out okay because I am the proprietor of a, an account called One Perfect Shot that's about to be a television show on HBO Max uh, next week, or I guess this week, if you're listening to this, on the 24th. So uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm a really happy guy this week. I'm not going to lie.
2: That's right. Back in our day, Twitter's prompt was what are you doing right now? And I'd be like having a sandwich. So there's a whole bunch of tweets from probably Neil and I about sandwiches for eating. It was a different it was a different time. Yeah. Uh, But as Twitter has become, this podcast has become, it's time to have an intense debate. In honor of the upcoming Academy Awards, we're going to dive deep into 94 years of Academy and Motion Picture Sciences history to discover what they forgot to nominate for Best Picture because of stupidity or a plethora of good nominations that somehow forgot our topic. The most egregious Best Picture snub ever. Joanna, how did we happen across this? Oh, and how did we do last week?
3: Okay, last week on the podcast, we debated Batman's, the greatest Batman antagonist. Um, Our list, our our. Nominees were Heath Ledger's Joker, Mark Hamill's Joker, Tom Hardy's Bane, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. The most important thing for you to know is that Heath Ledger's Joker won by a mile, and that's really all you need to know, right, guys? Um, That's it. Oh no, (laughs) I feel so depressed.
0: I would like to claim a small victory (laughs) on behalf of Tom Hardy's Bane, in that I did not finish in last, and I want to say that that was probably. Based on the strength of my argument.
3: Hmm. All right. Mm. Well, so. I finished last, which means that <laughs> today Catwoman and I are going to go last in, in today's debate. But before we get into today's debate and all the rules surrounding a trial by content debate, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the Oscars. They are, you know, increasingly the Oscars have become not necessarily a metric of what is most popular, or what is most interesting or what is most at the center of Any conversation around film that given year, we are moving further and further away from that. That has been an ongoing struggle. The centerpiece of that struggle this year is the fact that Spider-Man No Way Home uh, did not get nominated for Best Picture. I'm just wondering, I just want to kick off by asking you guys, like, do you think that was a mistake? Neil, what do you think? Nope.
2: And no, I didn't this is start actually with
3: you, Dave. What did you think? <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. I got jump the gun. <laughs> what do you think? No.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with Dave. This is uh one of the rare occasions where they got it right. Like what business does uh Spider-Man: No Way Home have being anywhere near a best picture Oscar and no one's been able to explain it to me.
3: What 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 right it has to be in the conversation?
0: Yeah, just because it made a lot of money, that's never been a prerequisite, right?
3: No, it's never been, but that's the question about the Oscars is like, should they be honoring the films that people actually see or should they be honoring films that like very few people see?
0: They should be honoring good films. That's my opinion.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't want to speak out of turn for
3: Mr. One Perfect Shot
2: over here, but if you think the lighting in Spider-Man uh, No Way Home is good, you're bad at
3: movies. The question is not like, should Spider-Man No Way Home win Best Picture? I think the question is, With 10 possible nomination slots, should Spider Man No Way Home be honored for what role it played in getting people to go to the movies and be excited about the movies in 2021?
2: Isn't $2 billion a pretty good award for that?
3: Absolutely, it is. (laughs) But, like, you know,
0: I also think that there's nothing wrong with being nominated for Best Visual Effects, which it also doesn't deserve. But still got some (laughs) help.
3: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. In reaction to No Way Home not being nominated, the Academy and their anxiety to seem like they have their fingers on the pulse, um, came up with this fan-favorite Twitter uh, idea where they're letting people on Twitter nominate and vote for a fan-favorite award that will have a moment at the Oscars. It won't win an Oscar, but it'll have a moment on stage at the Oscars. This as all things with the internet, did not go as planned.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, because according at least to a Business Insider article that went up last week, the, the movie that was in the running according to social media data, it's hard to tell, uh, was uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, a Netflix zombie film, uh, was in the lead. And that, this is because, uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, we know the strength of the Snyder bros and their, and their social media rallying. Number two, Zack Snyder himself rallied them, which is something that he has been known to do in the past. So that happened. Number two, probably on the list was Camila Cabello's, uh, wildly, widely disregarded Cinderella. That, that was uh, the one with James on Corden,
0: right? Where they were mm-hmm. dancing in the street to promote mm-hmm. it.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I'm aware of that movie.
3: Uh, No, <laughs> no Way Home was three. I, I think the Academy was just desperate to honor No Way Home, and they thought this would be an easy way to do it, and they miscalculated. Number four was Minamata, which was a not very well-known Johnny Depp film, but as we know, the Depp heads are very active on Twitter as well. So this seems to have massively backfired. I've got a couple questions around this. Number one, do you think there's any world in which the Academy ignores what actually won this poll because we actually have no idea we cannot track for ourselves externally who won this poll and as far as i know price waterhouse is not carefully guarding the votes of this poll do you think there's any way that the academy might fudge the data in order to have the spider-man moment they want dave gonzalez
2: Uh, i'm gonna say no just based on uh uh, the previous, uh, we think Chadwick Boseman is going to win best actor. So let's put his award at the end of the ceremony and that it's Anthony Hopkins. And everybody just sort of like, ha yada, yada, yada uh, off. I don't think there's ever been a time where I bet the uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is smarter than I am and been correct. So I just think that they're basically going to do the thing you don't want them to do uh, right up to honoring a weird Zack Snyder Army of the Dead movie.
3: Uh, Neil, what will it be like if Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which, as far as I know, I mean, like Justice League would be one thing, but Army of the Dead, how, how will it feel if that gets an, uh, a big moment on stage at the Oscars as Hans Zimmer has to accept his Oscar for Dune off live television <laughs> in a pre-record?
0: Yeah. I- <laughs> as with all things, it is dangerous to ask the internet what it thinks, because unfortunately, (laughs) then you have to find out what the internet (laughs) thinks. Um, And I will say this as someone who enjoyed Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, I thought it was a fun movie. It was uh, one of the more enjoyable experiences I had watching movies from my couch last year, almost primarily. And uh, I think it would be great if it win. I'm also kind of rooting for a malignant because I think the silly one should win the silly award. Um, but I do, I, w- I want to disagree with Dave here because I love a good conspiracy theory. And Ooh. I believe that there is nothing that the Walt Disney Corporation <laughs> and its subsidiary ABC would not do to prove an extremely dumb point about Spider Man No Way Home. And as Dave mentioned, It's not enough that it made two billion dollars. It also needs to be the centerpiece of an Oscar night in which we're not even going to get some of the best speeches, like from the makeup and hairstyling and production design. Like, we're just going to get tidbits of those. The only way for this to go horribly wrong is for them to actually give it to Spider-Man. So I feel like that's probably what's going to happen.
3: All right. So that's I mean, that's sort of the question of like popular versus Oscar worthy. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're not. It sort of depends on on your point sure. of view. Um, but that you know, that's sort of what's in the water as we discuss. Because what is off? What is true? No matter how you feel about Spider Man No Way Home being in the mix here, what is true is if you look back at who won or or even who was nominated, uh, all throughout the history of Oscars, oftentimes it's not the film that we most remember from that year um, at all. And so we're just going to go through and, and look at some films that, that didn't even get nominated for Best Picture, not even a nomination for Best Picture, but have lingered uh, in our memory and in pop culture significance. So before we get into the debate, Neil, what are the rules here?
0: Well, Joanna, I am so glad that you asked. The rules for this one are simple. Your choice must be a theatrically released film that was not nominated for Best Picture in its year of release. And uh, this is also the point where we, uh, last week, I think we gave a category crown, but this week we're going to our other special award, which is category clown. And this one goes to the members of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences who have been getting it wrong for soon to be 94 consecutive (laughs) years.
3: Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it right.
0: (laughs) Sometimes they get it right. That's the (laughs) thing about the Academy. It is, for folks who are not familiar with it, made up of professionals in the industry. It's members of the Directors Guild and the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild and folks who have uh, been nominated for and won awards in the past. So they really pride themselves on celebrating the best of the art form. And uh, it's it's pretty staggering. When when they have huge swings and misses, which is the ultimate topic of this week's debate.
2: All right, it's time for opening remarks, where we start this trial by content by each host getting one minute to give the pitch for their choice. I have the uh, distinct honor of going first, as I did not pick Keith Ledger's Joker last week, but I did pick Mark Hamill's Joker, which came in a solid second place. So the order of these opening statements is going to go me, Neil, and then Joanna before we debate amongst ourselves and then bring in the listener debate for our fourth pick. Here we go. The Shining by Stanley Kubrick is both rated in the space of recognizing a masterpiece and underrated by the metric of Best Picture nominations. In 1981, the Best Picture went to Robert Redford's directorial debut, Ordinary People. The story about a family falls apart dramatically after a personal tragedy, whereas The Shining, different but parallel to the book by horror author Stephen King, also portrays a family in crisis, but in a much more real and paranoia-inducing way, to suggest even the most nuclear families are one bad work assignment away from total chaos. <laughs> Danny Lloyd, Jack Nicholson, and Shelley Duvall give career-high performances, while cinematographer John Alcott perfectly translates Stanley Kubrick's vision into reality. In terms of film criticism, the auteur-director theory is often an excuse for toxic masculinity, and here is no different. It's difficult even Five, in modern day to four, look at shining and Nazi is a ability to pinnacle why? Of attention to meeting execution.
3: <laughs> Close. Oh man,
2: I, I, I know I put a crack in my own argument before I got to like spike the football. But that's fucking trial by content. Neil.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Go ahead and start the clock. When I was looking for the most egregious snub of all time in the best picture category, I'm not just looking for any movie. I'm just looking for a good movie. I'm looking for one of the greatest movies of all time. I'm looking for a movie that comes right out and punches us in the mouth with ferocity and vibrance and color, and then spends two hours introducing us to and bringing to life a neighborhood in the late 1980s, where we meet a wide array of wonderful characters, each of whom gets their own story, until at the very end, the film brings together this climax that forces us to have and engage with a conversation about racism and policing in America. I'm speaking, of course... Of Spike Lee's second film, his second joint, an absolute masterpiece. 1989's Do the Right Thing. Why? Do
3: four time? Oh. Three. Two. It lost the driving Miss
0: Daisy. <laughs> Not only did it not get nominated, but Driving Miss <laughs> Daisy won.
3: I felt less comfortable <laughs> counting you out on your argument. Because you're like, a profound story of racism. And I'm like...
2: <laughs> mm. <laughs> that being said, he did get a whole sentence after his time was up. Just let the record Sure. You
3: know. It's my turn. Okay. Uh, it is. I'm going to start the clock. All right. So you both make compelling... You picked fantastic films and you make compelling arguments. And I, and I support you both in all your endeavors. However, what is true about my pick... Which is 2008's The Dark Knight, is that mm. the snubbing of this film forever changed the rules of Oscar. This is a snub so egregious that the Academy, after 55 years of having only five Best Picture nominees, the year after The Dark Knight was snubbed, expanded the category to include up to 10 nominees in the hopes that more commercially successful films would be made. The Dark Knight, the reason, the main reason it didn't get into the crop of nominees that year, which includes Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost, Nixon, Milk, The Reader, and Slumdog Millionaire, is a Weinstein smear campaign tied to The Reader. He got The Reader in there. Who's seen The Reader? It's even a joke in the Oscar monologue by Hugh Jackman. The Dark Knight. Oh, I'm done. All right. That seems like it was straight on time. That's because I have a stopwatch in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) And no one rooted up to count me out.
2: That means it's time for cross-examination. All right. Let's start here a little bit with piggybacking off of Joanna's uh, discussion of like Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, Neil, was do The Right Thing the highest-grossing film of the year was released?
0: No, but here's something about that. You don't need to be a high-grossing film to win Best Picture. I believe, what was what was the ultimate box office take of The Heart Locker, which was, I think, the movie that won maybe the year or the year after Joanna's pick? Uh, it made all of about $2 million at the box office. Do The Right Thing... Made $37 million at the box office, which at the end of the 1980s was pretty big. So I don't know if we should use that as a good metric.
3: I agree with you, but you are bring up a great point because the reason that the year that the Hurt Locker won was such an interesting and exciting competition is because it was up against Avatar. And the reason it was up against Avatar is because the best picture category was expanded mm-hmm. to introduce more box office friendly, genre friendly content.
2: I mean, is box office friendly what we want when we're uh, awarding best the word best to something? Like, isn't The Dark Knight's five hundred and thirty three thousand dollars like uh, accolades enough? That's I'm not saying. I'm not intake, saying
3: the that The Dark Knight, like that, that it is so undeserved and it. And it deserves so much more than the gajillion dollars that it made. I'm saying it deserves to be in the conversation. I'm saying that even Slumdog Millionaire beat uh, The Dark Knight at the end, which it probably would have. The Dark Knight deserves to be in the conversation of the best films of the year. It was nominated for the Directors Guild, the Producers Guild, the Writers Guild. They all nominated the film. It was a shoe in were it not for Weinstein intervention. So it's not really, a, it's, I'm, not, I'm not saying because it's popular, it deserves to be in there. It is. A, it was a huge. Huge film culturally, was it not? Yeah.
0: Well, and oh, yeah, and I think you know, Joanna makes a really good point about the Dark Knight essentially breaking the best picture category because I think it's an interesting pivot point for the academy. Because prior to that, with the five nominees, there was often a lot of talk about how the academy's role was to elevate films and to, to, to find the real best film, and whether it made a hundred million dollars or fifty bucks at the box office to elevate that. And I think of folks like my mom, who's a hairstylist in Cleveland, Ohio, who would use the Oscars, the best picture list, as her watch list every spring. And this is how she discovered the best movies. My mom doesn't need any help discovering The Dark Knight, um, or Spider-Man, No Way Home. Uh, I think it's about the the best picture Oscar is often about showing the world what the best movie in Hollywood was. And it becomes more egregious to me when a movie like Do the Right Thing was clearly the best movie of its year. Both Siskel and Ebert, two guys notorious for agreeing with each other, (laughs) had it as number one on their lists. It was nominated for the Chicago Film Critics, the LA Film Critics it won all of those awards it was nominated for best drama at the golden globes which still mattered back then and the <laughs> academy was like we're not even going to give it a nomination in fact we only want the movie we don't we don't want the tough conversation about racism in america we want the one that makes a lot of people feel better about themselves and you know miss driving miss daisy a perfectly nice film based on a what i'm told much better play you know it kind of walks so that green book could run Oh, a couple boy. decades later. I,
2: uh, <laughs> no, that's
3: not, a, that's not an argument in your favor there. Well, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's fucking driving Miss Daisy to Greenbuck. I think that is a, probably a pretty smart argument. I mean,
0: fair. <laughs> I mean I'm mean, i just saying, had they nominated and given the award to do the right thing, it would have been a different conversation. They, it would be a less shameful history for the Academy. It's still pretty shameful, you know, especially that you know, a black, fil- black American filmmaker has still never won Best Picture. Steve McQueen won for 12 Years a Slave, but he's a British guy. And if, if this is the award for the best in American film, this was still a very too late opportunity for the Academy in 1989. But uh, it was a very glaring opportunity
3: nonetheless so we're saying that is down between do the right thing and the dark Knight, right we're not even talking about the shining because it's not even worth considering. <laughs> well i don't, don't want to do that let's, let's...
1: Here,
0: I, I do have something to say about the shining
3: mm-hmm. the
0: shining uh, isn't oh. even the stanley kubrick film that i would pick for this because you know what else yeah, was nominated 2001
2: which is fucking <laughs> <great>. <laughs>
0: Two thousand and one, *A Space Odyssey* also could have won. In, in back in it is day. a
2: genius film that is made with photochemical processes uh, done before *Star Wars* masking. Sure. But that being said, it has three acts, and the middle act involves long sequences, like five minutes long, of things moving through space, which I agree look great for the time they were produced, but do not look great or scientifically accurate now. I want to give Neil a pass for a second. Joanna, we got some white films we're trying to pick here. Let's assume that when we're talking about the Academy Award snubs, we're maybe thinking the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences doesn't have the greatest record of diversity in its picks. They actually have a hashtag
0: so I, that would uh, indicate otherwise <laughs> from a few years Yeah, back.
2: indeed. Something so white as, as far as I remember. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like that means that Joanna and I have to contribute a little bit more to cinema as a art form, because we're not necessarily talking about the uh, cultural mores of the day, which I think I don't I, I want to say, I mean, I'm going to get a saw canceled. I think it brings us close to even in terms of the years that we're talking about and the subjects that our films are talking about. So my question is is uh Joanna, do you think we're automatically at a disadvantage because our movies are basically uh race neutral? And is yours worse because it's race neutral in an entire city?
3: I think something that you can say, at least at the very least, a crumb in the Academy's favor uh when it comes to do the right thing is that they nominated it for screenplay. Still lost the Dead Poet Society, which is an egregious snub, but it was it was nominated in one of the top categories. You know, the academy pinned all of the dark knight praises on Heath Ledger which is rightfully so um but it didn't win it didn't get nominated in any of the like artistic categories that it deserved to be nominated. I think it's really funny that both of you are playing this game like you don't care about superhero movies when <laughs> we've all spent collectively spent a really long time Caring about no, superhero no, no. movies and talking about how they are a valid artistic art form. So I think it's funny that for the sake of winning a debate, you're pretending like you don't care about The Dark Knight.
2: I don't need to pretend. It's just that superhero movies, especially now in 2022, they get their due. I'm looking for movies that
3: aren't But this wasn't 2022. This is 2008. This is the beginning of everything. You mean the year
2: Iron Man came out? Yeah, the beginning, the beginning of, the of the Marvel of Cinematic the Universe? The beginning
3: of a big sea change for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So you're saying we
2: should have released the first one to the trend and then given it an Oscar. I'm still it.
3: not hearing anything that convinces me that the Shining even deserves to be in this conversation.
2: I mean, have you seen The Shining? I've seen The Shining.
3: Did...
2: It's a great okay, film. First of all, is it best picture? Yes.
3: Is it best picture quality for that year?
2: I mean, I think that well, all it really needs to do is beat ordinary people. So my question is, is like. A older brother accident, By that metric, or a younger we all deserve we to be here. Brother.
3: I will beat the reader any day of the week. Do the right thing will be driving Miss Daisy any day of the week. We can all make that argument. You need something beyond that, Dave.
2: Okay. I think it's Stanley Kubrick's apex, uh, specifically because it's not him forming an entire narrative. It's Stanley Kubrick as a, a monster of adaptation in a way that Stephen King didn't like. But that means we have two specifically distinct versions of The Shining story, one that is completely about how alcoholism can ravage a family. That's the novel, which I also think is very good. And I would probably better than the movie if we're talking about literature versus film. But the ability to take a story that's entirely about alcoholism and twist it into a way where if Jack Torrance is your father, then anybody can be crazy because it's not so much a pull. We don't get to see Jack Torrance breaking uh, Danny's arm beforehand in a drunken stupor. Instead, we're all hotel. and um, We're all hotel? For... What does that
3: mean? Neil, yeah, what does the sentence, we're all hotel, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I need you to hold Dave accountable sometimes when he says things that make no
2: sense. <laughs> I mean, if you think that makes no sense, let's go for it then. <laughs> uh, I've been to both the uh, I know Oregon you have. Hotel, the Overlook has been on, and the Stanley Hotel in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I also used to live in Bed-Stuy. What does that uh, have to do with there. this
3: argument at all?
2: I was there during uh, Spike Lee's 10th anniversary celebration of Do the Right Thing, where he had a block party in uh, Bed-Stuy. I can't go to Gotham City. So I've lived in uh, two places that Neil's fictional universe uh, takes place in and my fictional universe takes place in and I could directly translate that to my own life. In what world is watching a movie about how the Batman has a counterpoint in Heath Ledger's Joker ever going to be applicable to people who are
3: living? The Dark Knight is about morality, the darkness that lives in the the hearts of men, Mm-hmm. Neil is dying. To I live the here George W. <laughs> knows, Bush presidency. He knows that Gotham is every city. Gotham is all of us. We are hotel. We are Gotham. <laughs> that's who we are. Come on. Come on.
2: Ask Sacramento <laughs> if they feel like they're Gotham, because I don't think they do. I think that's a very specific idea of what a metropolitan setting is. And I think the Dark Knight is a very specific uh, George W. Bush to Obama view of America. It's not necessarily an overall view of Batman. Again, not things that we have to worry about in terms of best picture. But my question is in a politically rife worldwide 2008, how is The Dark Knight the best picture in terms of speaking to an audience? We're not arguing
3: what the best picture is. We're arguing about what deserves to be in the conversation for that year. So it's not it's not what I, should have won best picture, it's what deserves to be in the conversation of being the best picture of the year. And if you look at the cultural impact of The Dark Knight in terms of how it helps break open the door because people took it so seriously, because as good as Batman Begins was, and it was, it wasn't until Heath Ledger's performance in that film that people started taking comic book movies that much more seriously. And so yes, Heath Ledger gets his Oscar and he well deserved it, but also the film as a whole, given how it completely changed the narrative on what comic book movies should be, and given how the Nolan aesthetic then spread far and wide, for better or worse, you might argue, that is up to you, but it, you cannot deny the impact of no- that Nolan has had. The fact that Nolan doesn't have a Best Director Oscar, given like what an influential member of our of our film society he is, is is egregious. But the point being, The Dark Knight deserves to be in the conversation.
2: I guess. What then, Joanna, mm. uh, is your definition of snub in this particular debate?
3: Not nominated for a Best Picture. The stated rules of of this whole debate. And I, I mean, mean, I definitely I mean, agree. I mean, if you're talking about the biggest snub, I would say it's the thing that forever changed the rules of the Academy that had been in place for 50 years. Did either of your films? No,
2: because we weren't even considered. We were completely snubbed. Yours, at least, was considered to the point to change the rules of the Academy. That seems Do like a Do the Right Thing was nominated, nominated. A for snub.
3: screenplay.
2: Okay. I mean, great, yes, perfect. What Joanna said, exactly. Take what I said and what Joanna said and vote for me. That's that hey,
0: Here's good. the thing, though, and I'm glad you brought up this point, um, especially about Do the Right Thing, getting other nominations, because Danny Aiello was nominated for Best Supporting Actor that year. Spike was obviously nominated for Original Screenplay. Um, in my personal opinion, it makes the snub significantly more egregious if the Academy clearly... Knew better, right? Like they knew enough that Do the Right Thing was a great movie to sprinkle a few Oscar nominations on it. So they can't claim, you know, as a voting body that they weren't aware of it. It was one of the most controversial movies that year. And like I said, it made almost $40 million at the box office. So to me, that makes it worse, where it's like, oh, you knew that Do the Right Thing was out there, you knew the right thing was to nominate it, and not only nominate it, but for it to win Best Picture, and you chose Driving Miss Daisy instead. And I think that is very significant.
3: So embarrassing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? I will concede this. It's the most egregious in that it is extremely embarrassing. Not only embarrassing, like, it's not just that the Academy should have known better. It's that not nominating do the right thing was the Academy sort of showing us who they were. Mm -hmm. And as we know many several decades later, who they continued to be and kind of continue to be to this day. Um, And I think that that makes, yeah, that really to me elevates do the right thing to sort of the top of the egregious snub mountain.
3: I think if you want to talk about the consequences of a snub um, and, and, both of you make really fine points about we shouldn't just be nominating the most popular thing, we should be taking uh, a look at these underseen films, et cetera, et cetera. What is commonly accepted as true for people who follow the Oscars and the Academy Awards is that the impact of the snub of the Dark Knight, expanding the category to a flexible eight to 10 nominees means that a lot of beautiful underseen films got then nominated, like Amore, Beast of Southern Wild, Call Me by Your Name, Hell or High Water. Her, Moneyball, Room, Whiplash, like all these films that definitely would not have made the five cut, then become Oscar nominated films. This is the impact of a snub so big that a famously crusty, unchangeable <laughs> body of voters decided to change their rules forever. And I just don't. I mean, that, you that's
0: can- that's true. Here's what I'll have to say about that, though, is that. I think if in 1980, the Academy expanded to 10, that would have obviously helped The Shining. Maybe. There were some really good movies that year. I don't think that my pick wouldn't, should have needed the Academy to go to 10. It was far and away better than the five that they nominated. If that expansion had happened before Do the Right Thing came out, yes, it would have helped it. But I think it's, it's even worse. I think, yeah, I think it's it true and this five. might
3: this might be bad debating, but I think what's true is that all three of our movies deserve to be nominated. I think that's oh,
0: sure. true. Oh yeah. Mine absolutely. definitely deserve to win though. And I think that's a huge difference. Would the should the Dark Knight have won necessarily against Benjamin Button. That's not or Slumdog Millionaire. We're not, we're,
3: not, we're not arguing what should have won. We're arguing well, what should have been nominated.
0: That's my theory I mean? of the case is that it's more egregious if it clearly should have also won, not just be
3: nominated. I mean,
2: it's it's a different thing, I think, if it clearly should have also won. If we were having this debate on d- very many different topics, that's what I would say if I was
0: arguing for the shining.
2: Yeah, absolutely <laughs> the dark absolutely the dark knight has changed the way that we view Oscars. But that's not a snub. That means it's been rated. Absolutely, do the right thing should have won over driving Miss Daisy. I had no qualms with that. But also, like, do the right thing, I feel has been uh rated uh accurately over driving Miss Daisy. So you're saying and because also,
3: show- your film is less culturally relevant, it deserves to win this debate. I think I think you're just arguing for Neil and me right now, honestly. <laughs> cinema
2: isn't current, cinema should be for always. So like. I get that your Batman is a very good Batman, but is it the Batman for the time that people watch it? I don't know. Do the Right Thing I feel is kind of universal because it is so anchored in a place. Uh, And then The Shining is universal because white families cannot be trusted. And that movie (laughs) just like throws it throughout history. Um, But before we get like too far into it, we're gonna have more time to debate, but now is the time that I feel like we should pivot to get some listener opinions in here.
3: We are hotel, okay.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All right,
3: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it off here. Uh, you know, we, we've been talking about stuff, films that are a little bit more contemporary 1980 on. I guess we're getting further and further away from 1980 feeling contemporary. But um this this pick uh goes deeper into Hollywood history it comes from Jackson Clare who writes my submission for the best best picture snub is singing in the rain. How many montages have the Oscars used clips from the movie and yet they couldn't even Give it an Oscar or nominate it for best picture um, from Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor's charms and dance moves that have inspired so many other movie musicals ever since we have Debbie Reynolds winning all of our hearts with her smile. One of the scenes I am most excited to share with my daughter when she can process movies is the make them laugh scene. Also, but if you ask most people if singing in the rain won an Oscar, they would say, of course. So that is my argument. But now to go dancing and singing in the rain, this is me, Joanna just chiming in to say not only that, but singing in the rain is rated as one of the, Best movies about the film industry, which is something the Oscars.
0: It's another thing the Academy
3: loves for celebrating. (laughs) So it is truly bizarre that Singing in the Rain wasn't nominated.
2: Jack, I almost picked that and I'll tell you why I didn't after a while. But I'm actually picking our listener, Callan, who said, My submission for biggest, best picture nomination snub is The Matrix. This would be in 1999. Not only is it a medium-defining film, it's a film that, given the nominations it did receive, shows that it would have easily been nominated for Best Picture nowadays. A film that is unambiguously one of the best, if not just its year, but of all time. Aware that I'm not really explained why it should be here, it would be in an expanded field, and it should have been in regardless. So The Matrix, uh, which is a bold uh, pick by Callan here, because 1999 is uh, not a... Slouch for good movies.
0: All right. And I've got one as well. This one comes from Faith Riven's The Haunting by Robert Wise from 1963 isn't just an adaptation of one of my favorite novels of all time, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, but it's a stunning piece of filmmaking. There are so many unforgettable shots. The second Kane wife lying dead at the bottom of the stairs. Eleanor dancing through the halls. The breathing door. The staircase sequence in the library at the end. Julie Harris is mesmerizing as Eleanor, a repressed woman, still struggling to escape the clutches of her late mother. Her performance creeps under your skin like a bad chill, legitimately spine-tingling. The haunting terrifies without ever showing you a supernatural monster to be afraid of. The fear is in the unknown, in the psychological, in Eleanor's growing paranoia that no one wants her except Hill House. Unfortunately, horror films rarely get the recognition they deserve. So I'll be one more voice amongst the many shouting that it's time. And it appears that it was time in 1963. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's that's reaching deep, a little bit deeper into the Oscars history. I, I think that if there's any thesis here, it's that uh, they've been getting it wrong. It's not a recent thing. They've been getting it. It's not just that they've been manufacturing uh, a way to get Spider-Man into the ceremony. This past year, it's a long time they've been disrespecting genre films, films made by uh, people of color uh, across the board. And uh, I think we've got a pretty good, pretty good selection here.
2: Yeah, once again, we have a selection that I can't like I want to win. But all of these are answers that I would be okay with winning uh, for various points. I'll, I'll address Jack first. Singing in the rain is great except for a very divisive part of it, which is the transition from Act uh, 2 to Act 3, where we go into the movie that they're pitching. Yeah. And it is mostly a uh, reason for um, Harold Ross's cinematography to shine slash amazing blowing uh, costumes that like seem to stretch like 30 yards that blow in exactly the way I want them. I don't know how it's done, But in terms of what the movie is, uh, it is a departure that seems to be uh, as enamored with the transition from black and white to large color musicals as the movie Singing in the Rain is with the transition from silent films to sound.
3: Friend with love, uh, I love you so much, but you're displaying ignorance of the of the art of musical. That is what is called a dream ballet. And they are existent in many, many, <laughs> many movie musicals, including Oklahoma and Carousel. This is a thing that is done yeah. in film musicals. It's not to show off the cinematography, which is incredible in that scene. It's to show off Sid Charisse and her mile long legs, show off Gene Kelly's choreography. It's a, it's an iconic sequence of an iconic
2: but completely divorced from the actual plot of the film, which isn't to say that it's a good reason for it to show up. Like, why not show up how like great your studio is and obviously your choreography is, and like I said before, your ability to control wardrobe with gigantic fans that you've already shown in the movie in a you know, plot-relevant way. I'm just saying in terms of a dream sequence, the reason I think we don't see lots of musicals uh, win the best picture that include length, the dream sequences is it's divorced from the plot singing in the rain takes a break and it's a beautiful break but it's a break from a uh consistent full singular focused storytelling experience which i feel like all of our nominations are so i would i would knock singing in the rain off with pain from my heart because until i picked shining singing in the rain was up near the top of my list because it absolutely should have been uh, recognized in some way, but I also feel like it's inclusion in the AFI top 100 alongside many best picture winners uh, means that it's not going to be forgotten.
3: But it should be a best picture nominee, if not a best picture winner. It is mm-hmm. a classic of cinema off repeated in rep. I mean, like the, the question comes down to this. Do we feel as as we were discussing at the beginning of this whole conversation, do we feel that the Oscars should this conversation is about lifting up smaller movies or is it about cementing the legacy of bigger movies? You know what I mean? It's just like singing in the rain deserves to not only have the legacy that it has, but also an Oscar next to it, or at least a nomination. The Haunting of Hill House or The, the Haunting is a lovely movie and I absolutely love it, but I don't know what it's doing here in this conversation. The Matrix is interesting, but if you argue for The Matrix, then you're just making an argument for me, The Dark Knight. So I don't know if you want to risk doing it.
2: Mm -hmm. so it's The Shining or Do the Right Thing is what you're saying I'm
3: saying it's The Dark (laughs) Knight or See in the Rain
0: well I mean it's interesting I as we were picking the listener options I picked The Haunting because I was like let's make sure horror gets represented and that was before I knew Dave was taking The Shining (laughs) so when it comes to what which four films are going to make the final poll I would be okay sacrificing the one that I picked out The Haunting even though I think Faith wrote a, a fantastic case it's for it. It's a great
3: pitch. It is. Um, it is,
0: yeah. I think, you know, and I obviously I love The Matrix as well. I think it was an innovative and extremely cool movie. And the Wachowskis uh, are another filmmaking duo that probably should have a couple nominations at this point. Um, but I think Sing in the Rain might actually be the strongest one because one of the things that I think makes an Oscar Best Picture snub egregious is, and we have this through the benefit of hindsight, is that it be- becomes a much bigger, you know, culturally relevant thing as time goes on, right? That you look back at the movie and you just feel like, oh my God, how did they miss it? Or if you, you know, you walk up to 10 people on the street and you say, hey, do you think Singing in the Rain won the best picture? most people would probably assume that it at least got nominated. And I think that's... Oh,
2: I don't know. I don't know if we should
3: depend on the ignorance of the masses
2: to be a point that Boyd <laughs>
3: for Hey, the masses us. watched oh. the Oscars too. Wow, Dave just um, insulted a bunch of uh, listeners, I think. You <laughs> lost the base, Dave. Yeah, the masses. <laughs>
2: Nobody who's listening now, because everybody who's listening now is obviously smart enough to be listening to us. But like uh, being like, have you seen this movie? I don't think is should be a metric for if a movie's good.
3: <laughs> I think that, I mean... I don't think you're arguing that singing in the rain is bad. You're taking a really weird stance against dream ballets. That's fine. But I think that Jack's point that the Oscars, the Academy loves to lean on singing in the rain for clips, for Mm -hmm. references. Everyone knows what it means when you see a guy in a fedora with his collar turned up and an umbrella. Like everyone knows what that is. (laughs) Tom Holland knows what that is. And so, you know, it's got to be singing in the rain. Come on.
2: You're just going after the no way home crown, which is recently biased uh, bias, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I was recently watching a singing in the rain and the credit at the beginning is it's inspired by the song singing in the rain, which is hilarious because the song has nothing to do with the plot of that movie. Uh, it is very well placed though. And I'd like love it. And if it's going to be our fourth, I understand, but we all just lost to the audience last week. So, do we really want to set them up for <laughs> being in a prime position to beat all of I us? I feel
3: like Singing in the Rain should be in the conversation, but I, I don't feel that threatened by it, honestly, at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, same.
2: Oh, you think could... <sighs> Joanna Robinson just said uh, Singing in the Rain is worse than the dark? <laughs> night. Uh, get to Twitter. I just
3: mean, I just mean, when it comes to the biggest snub, again, the snub on Singing in the Rain did not change forever the rules of the Oscars. So you
2: know. All right. Well, we're going to have to narrow these three picks down to one because we're running out of time. It sounds like Singing in the Rain is going to be our pick, but if anybody has the Haunting or Matrix uh, above Singing in the Rain, speak now forever hold your peace. Hey, all right. <laughs> so we're coming up on final statements. We each get one minute uninterrupted, unrebutted to speak our piece. This will be for our three nominees, The Shining, Do the Right Thing, And The Dark Knight, which will be joining Jack singing in the rain in our final poll. We're going to do it in reverse order, which means Joanna gets to go first for The Dark Knight.
3: I mean, I just want to I just want to start this way and say as compelling an argument as We Are Hotel is, um, I think the argument that We Are Gotham is is a is a better one. I mean, there's just no doubting the cultural impact of The Dark Knight, of Christopher Nolan's work and what became of Hollywood post the Dark Knight in the comic book era. You might say that's not a great thing if you're Martin Scorsese, but you cannot deny what has become the dominant genre, which is the comic book movie. And to ignore one of the most consequential ones is forever going to be one of the biggest uh, mistakes the Academy ever made. They know it. They've been uh, apologizing ever since with their expanded categories. So, yeah, it's got to be. I mean, it's just by, by that effect alone, has to be The Dark
2: Knight. Oh, under time. All right, Neil Miller with Do the Right Thing.
0: Well, when I think about the things that the Academy should be apologizing for, of course, at the top of my list is Do the Right Thing. Uh, but here's the thing. The Academy, in my opinion, has never fully, just fulsomely apologized for not giving Spike Lee an Oscar for what is, by so many measures, a masterpiece. Spike Lee would later observe himself that this was an egregious snub. In fact, they don't teach Driving Miss Daisy in film schools all across the world like they do Do the Right Thing. It is an important and magnificent film. And it is the Academy's greatest shame, in my opinion.
2: My name's Dave Gonzalez. I'm here to advocate on the side of The Shining. I absolutely agree that Do the Right Thing is an amazing film. It's very early on in Spike Lee's career and he's a very divisive director who I've talked with even in person sometimes. He has opinions that are evolving with the times and he portrays those opinions as are accurate. He definitely should have had Do the Right Thing nominated as a Best Film. But however, Stanley Kubrick's pinnacle of his career is probably The Shining. There are lots of situations where Stanley Kubrick has developed his own story, where Stanley Kubrick has adapted other people's stories. But I don't think any of them has been as successful without the help necessarily of the source material as The Shining. And The Shining ends up sort of birthing psychological horror on the back of things like Rosemary's Baby to redefine how we think about visual horror in the modern day. Vote The Shining, or if not, vote do the right thing.
3: I just think it's really funny that part of Dave's argument there is like sometimes I've been in the presence of Spike Lee. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've spoken to Spike Lee sometimes.
0: So has anyone who has <laughs> attended a Knicks game in the last thirty years?
2: Yeah, or gone to NYU because he rides the elevator all the time and he's a very friendly person. I didn't get the chance to yeah. meet Stanley. very Cambridge. friendly
0: person who deserved to win an Oscar in nineteen ninety.
2: <laughs> But also, I just think like you were, you were. Oh no! Wait, no, I can't rebut, and I, I'm going to hold to my own rules. <laughs> I made an argument, and the argument was, uh, "Don't vote for Joanna." Here we go. Find our poll for the most egregious Best Picture snub ever on the Ringer.com, on at Ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app, where you find trial by content. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. And that person will be directly in to the next trial. Neil, Mm -hmm. what are we trialing up next week?
0: Well, we're sticking in the realm of cinema history, and I guess this feels very self-serving, but we're sort of celebrating the fact that the One Perfect Shot (laughs) show is coming out on HBO Max. I've convinced my wonderful co-host to debate what is the best final shot in movie history, the best, uh, you can call it best final moment if you want but it usually leaves us with some emotions. You can send your picks and a few sentences to support your pick to trialbycontent at gmail.com. Here's another fun thing you can do with that email address. You can also submit suggestions for future trial by content topics. Is there a pop culture debate you'd like us to settle? Send it on over. We love those.
2: All right, guys, we did it. That was Best Picture Snub. You're going to figure out who the actual winner was. Let's do it. Go vote now.
3: Don't let
0: Neil win. Don't vote for Dave. Mm. Just vote for me. It's
2: (laughs) fine. This episode was produced by Carlos Jeroboam. We're all hotel.